We are going to be finishing the book of Ecclesiastes today. So if you haven't already, I ask you to take your Bibles out and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We're ultimately going to be in verses uh, 13 and 14 uh, to finish out this fantastic book. Um, while you're turning there, just think about this. Um, you parents here, um, how many of you have ever found yourself talking with your children and maybe about a problem, something that they did, and, and, and you, you kind of relate something that you did similar to that when you were children? And then you, you use a phrase like this. You say, I'm only telling you this because I don't want you to make the same mistake that I did. Now, as a parent, if you, if you haven't done that, if you haven't used that technique of parenting, uh, perhaps you should. I mean, a, a great part of parenting is sharing your life with your kids. You know, the ups and downs, the lessons that you have learned, and even your failures. And certainly having experienced certain hardships, you, you would, should want your children or your friends to know, you know, things that you have learned to help them avoid the same mistake. You know, that ounce of prevention, you know, can be worth a pound of cure. Well, in the name of prevention, there are many who have taken their life mistakes and they have made them public in an effort to warn society before it's too late. Someone who, you know, ha has become an alcoholic, once reformed, you know, they might warn others about the addiction and the danger of drinking. A drug abuser may want to tell young kids what happens when they mess around with drugs and, and even get started in recreational drugs. A few years ago, I read a book called Rekindled. It was the story of, of Pat and Jill Williams. At the time, Pat was the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers, the basketball team. And in the book, he writes about the mistakes that they made in their marriage that led very closely to their divorce and ultimately breaking up. And they talked about the biblical principles they used to rekindle their marriage. And the whole purpose of it, they shared it to help other people in their marriage so they don't make the same mistakes. We teach history to our children to learn from our forefathers' mistakes lest we repeat history. We teach them the good and bad of our history. So all that being considered, I suppose you could look at the book of Ecclesiastes, you could look at Solomon's journal here in a way as a historical document. It is the history, it is the story of a man who tried every possible pleasure that there is out there, anything that the world had to offer. He tried music to make him happy. He tried laughter. He tried art. He tried sex. He tried knowledge, power, money, good deeds, alcohol, drugs, you name it, whatever was available. He tried it because he was the king. He had total peace. He had no wars during his 40-year reign. He had, you know, untold wealth. You name it, he had it. And he tried everything. As a matter of fact, I am betting he even tried many of the things that we are today holding on to to make us happy, to give us joy, to give us you know, some meaning and some purpose. Now, someone might wonder, why would God include in his holy scriptures the story of Solomon? You know, 
why the story of a man who changed from seeking after God? Remember, he is, he is David's son. In the very beginning of his ministry, I mean, God says, you know, I'll grant you anything you want. And, you know, he asked for wisdom to lead God's people. You know, take that man who in that time at the very beginning changed to seeking after what the world has to offer. Why would God include that story? Well, I believe he included it so that history would not have to repeat itself in your life, in my life. I mean, we've been saying numerous times, you know, throughout this series that you, you don't have to stick your head in the garbage can to know it smells. Because God, through the life of Solomon, already tells you the areas that are rotting in life, that, that are dead ends in life. You don't have to try every form of pleasure that the world has to offer. You don't have to be seeking after satisfaction because God, through Solomon, tells you where true satisfaction is found. I mean, think about this. God created you. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. He knows your personality. You know, he, he knows everything about you. He knows what meaning and purpose is. And Solomon, after doing it all, he gives us the black and white truth about life, about where true meaning and true purpose is. And I love how he kind of did it at the end of this book. He summarizes this whole, the, this whole journey, his whole life, he summarizes it down to something that could be put into two verses. And you don't hear a big drum roll. He hasn't kind of brought everything to a crescendo, you know, and bursts on the scene, you know, this great truth. Solomon simply says this in verse 13. He says, the conclusion. When all has been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is bad. So, so Solomon's whole purpose in this whole book is expressed in the last part of ver verse 13. And I, I, I love how the King James actually puts this. And we're going we're gonna to put it up there in the King James Version. This is how verse 13 uh, reads in the King James it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty of man. Now, if you have a King James Bible, you will notice that the word duty in this verse is in italics. And what that means is that that word has been added because when they translated it from Hebrew into English, you know, they, they, they added that word to make it grammatically correct. But this actually, so this actually in the Hebrew should read, this is the whole of man. And, and I thought about this, and I really think, you know, kind of adding that, trying to make it grammatically correct, it did it a disservice. Because what Solomon has shared is not a job of men, a nine-to-five occupation. This isn't our duty, something I, on my to-do list that I have to do. But what he shares is the sum total of what man is and what God has created us to be. This is the whole of man. You want to find meaning and purpose? You want to find a wholeness to your life? Solomon, that's, that's what this whole book has been about. And if you want these things, he said there are two musts for your life. There are two musts that you must have, have to comprise the very whole of man. 
He says in verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God <coughs> excuse me, and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. So he tells us the first thing we need, if we're going to be whole, if I'm going to find the path, and again, all, everything is going to kind of be umbrellaing under these two things. And the very first thing he talks about is to fear God. The, the word there in the Hebrew, it means to revere or, 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 or give reverence to God. He's talking about having a deep respect. I mean, think about this for just a little bit. After Solomon has done everything that his heart desires, you know, he, he evaluated everything in life. He comes up and the first thing he says is, folks, if you're going to miss anything, don't miss to come to a place in your heart that you fear God, that you give him reverence. You know, involved in the whole of man is this reverence of God. The very heart, the very root of our faith lies in man's reverence of God. You know, Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. It says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom you shall fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I mean, ultimately, you know, he's talking about our creator, the one who gave us life, the one who our very lives right now are held in the palm of his hand. And one day when we, we pass out of this life, our eternity is in his hand as well. I mean, he wants us to, to come to know, to, you know, that's who we should have on the throne. That's who we should revere. All that God does in life, whether it's to, to shower you with blessings or, or testings and trials, it's all done so, so that we might come to revere God. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. God is working in your life. He wants us to come and understand that relationship with him, to have that reverence. I mean, certainly we look around in our lives, and I'm not just recently with the, the things that are going on with the social unrest, but you know, there is such an, an, an arrogance in, in the humanistic society that we live in that stubs its nose at God. There is no fear. There is, is no respect. I mean, I, you know, this has been coming for a long time. I, I have shared this numerous times, but have you ever watched Saturday morning cartoons? We, we never let our children watch them. Uh, I watch Saturday morning cartoons, and the commercials for children, trying to sell children on things, are horrible of the disrespect to their parents. They always portray parents as being doofuses, you know, and, and the kids are so smart and know so much more than the kids. And, 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 and there's, there's this message early on being ingrained into our children concerning authority, whether it's authority for parents or, or, or teachers or police officers or, or people who serve in the military, whatever authoritarian figure there is. We have, we have torn down that fear so that there is, according to Satan, there will be no fear of God. But, but Solomon's trying to call us back. It doesn't matter what's going on out there, what's going on in here. You have that, 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 that fear of God, that reverence of a holy God. There's, there's one place that we truly show a reverence to God, and, that, and that's within our heart. I love the verse in Isaiah 29, verse 13. 
It says, Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their words and honor me with their lips, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of traditions that are learned by rote. In other words, at that time that, that, that Isaiah is writing this, you know, even those that were, you know, whatever, following after God seemingly were doing it just because that's what they've been taught. They were doing the right thing. It looked like they feared God, but within their hearts, there's no fear of God. They did it just because it was out of, out of rote teaching. It was, it was part of the, you know, their life that they had learned. But their hearts were far from them. And friends, actions mean nothing without the heart. So the place we need to start as we look at our lives, if we want to become whole, if we want to find meaning and purpose, the place that we need to start is our heart. If you're ever to be whole, your heart needs to be in the right place. So where does God want your heart today? Where does God want your heart? Well, the answer for that is he wants your heart to be pointed towards Jesus Christ. Remember what we use, those verses we use in the Romans road? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And so we need to do, we need to step back and we need to do a heart check. Since our heart is where true reverence is found. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in this evaluation, we need to honestly answer the question, where are your treasures? What are the things that you value in life the most? Is Jesus Christ the greatest treasure of your life? Do you lay hold of him like you would, you know, silver or gold? Are you spending, you know, the life of Christ within you? Is Christ your treasure? And if it is, then, then your heart is in the right place. But if, say, you look at your job, and you see, well, my job's pretty important, and, you know, by my actions, I show that my job's more important than Christ. Well, then, then our job's our treasure. It's not Christ. If our entertainment and being able to, you know, have some enjoyment, if that's more important when it comes in conflict with my faith, then that's where your treasure is. You know, we need to, to evaluate our lives to see where they're at. You know, when, when you're tired, think about this. I, I hear this all the time. You get, people are so tired, they get run down. We're busy, busy people. When you are tired and you say, I need more sleep, let me ask you, where do you choose to get that sleep from? You say, you know, I've got some personal days at work. I think I'm going to take a day and I'm going to get rested up. Or, you know, we had this, this uh, you know, I, I plan to go fishing, but I'm, I'm just going to stay and I'm going to get a little extra sleep. Or do we say, I, I, I'm just going to sleep in a little bit and miss my devotions? Or, you know, Sunday is one of the only days that I have to sleep in. So, you know, it's not so important if, if I miss church. You see, if anything that you can think of is more important than Christ, 
then, then your heart's out of place. You know, and we need more than just a quick prayer. We need more than just sorry feelings for our sin. We need Jesus Christ. And you receive Christ by turning your heart over to him, of recognizing him as our Lord and as our Savior, the one who gave his life as a death on the cross to forgive our sins, that through his shed blood on the cross, his sacrifice will pay my debt, and I give my heart I give my heart to him. As, you know, nothing is going to come it. You know, I, I have this sign in my office, somewhere on my bookshelf, I believe. And you've heard this before. But it says, if you have everything but Christ, you have nothing. But if you have nothing but Christ, you have everything. If you have everything but Christ, you have nothing. If you have nothing but Christ, you have everything. So do you have Christ? Where does he play in your life? Is he the most important thing? Is the reverence and the fear of who he is? Now, if you do personally know Christ, and, and you have that fear, that reverence for God, then it's going to be shown by adherence to Solomon's second thing that he says you know, all of life boils down to. Remember what he said in verse 13? The conclusion when all has been heard is to fear God and keep his commandments. When we have the right fear of God, when he has that right place in our heart, the thing that's going to follow is we're going to listen to him. We're going to obey him. We're going to keep his commandments. We're going to do what he asks us to do. And this is where I see so many people miss the boat. So many people say they are Christians, but whenever they come to a junction in the road to make a decision for Christ or for something else in their life, you know, whether it's selfish or, or whether it's sinful, whatever it is, they find themselves choosing self over Christ. You know, they could care less what God tells them to do. They want to do what, you know, we want to do. Well, one does not go without the other. I mean, Titus 1.6 says this, talks about a people that says they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deeds. You can't claim the name of Christ and, and have no desire to be obedient with him. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I'm not saying we do everything correct. But where's your heart? Where's that desire? Is that passion to be like Jesus Christ? Is that passion to be obedient to trust him in what his word says, to align my life to that. You, you know, that's the fear of God. That's keeping his commandments. And, and so many people, you know, they think they can utter a childhood prayer and leave God out the rest of their lives. You know, I don't know how many couples that I have had that have come to me over the, what, 37-some years I've pastored. They want to get married. You know, maybe they're not part of the church. And, and I talk to them. I don't marry anybody without talking to them about Christ. And oh, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe. I accepted Christ. Yeah, I went to Sunday school. My grandma took me, you know, for a little while. Or I went to a vacation Bible school or something like that. Yet since then, I ask them, well, what's, what's the journey been since then? They have totally nothing, no connection with God whatsoever. You know, they profess to know God. But you look at their life, you look at their deeds, and they deny him. Their deeds, their actions, their life denies them. 
And what's God's heart towards that? Somebody, I mean, is that really what God wants? You know, this lip service? Does God really want, is it so important for him, you know, that someone says, oh, I'm a Christian, and, and doesn't do anything whatsoever that demonstrates that they're, they're, they're a child of his? No, God says, you know, people who profess to know God, but by their de- deeds they deny him, they are detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deeds. You know, that, those, those are, you know, pretty harsh words concerning God and, and us if we're not obedient to him. You know, it, it is so important that when we accept Christ, you will see the result in your life. God the Holy Spirit comes to live deep within us. And when that happens, how can, how can part of the Trinity come and live within you and it not ultimately have some effect that other people can see it as a result. That's what God's call is. That's what it means when we truly revere God, we will then keep his commandments. And Solomon, after seeing it all, after doing it all, he says, folks, it just boils down to two things in your life. Everything else, you get these two things in order, everything else is going to you know, cascade down. And that is to revere God. And secondly, to do what he says. And God asks the exact same thing from you and I. And God is not going to change his mind when he gets to heaven and says, oh, I was just kidding. He's going to hold each person equally accountable. Did we have the fear of God and were we obedient to him? He says in verse 14, for God will bring every act to judgment. Every act to judge every single thing we did 20 years ago, things you can't even remember anymore. Good things that you did. Things that you did for Christ. That cup of cold water you gave in Jesus' name. The time that you came out and you served. You know, the, or, or whatever it might be, though, that, that, that great time of worship that you had with him, that time in your devotions that you read his word, you made those commitments. All of those are going to come before him. As well as every disappointment, every disobedience. God will bring every act to judgment. <coughs> everything which is hidden, whether it's, it, it's good or evil, one day God is going to bring your file, God is going to bring my file out before him. And he is going to judge every act, every feeling, every emotion. And the question is going to be, are we ready for that? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to stand before God right now in your relationship with Jesus Christ where it's at? Are you ready to stand before God with a relationship that professes the name of Jesus Christ but our actions deny him? Are we ready to stand before God? If you realize what God is calling us to be, what it means to be a children of God, right now, today could be that day that you were saved. Today, that day that, that everything changes for you. The trajectory of your life. Today, you could ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to become a child of his. Dr. Karl Barth, some of you are familiar with that name. He was a brilliant theologian of years past. I read about a trip that he once took, a very extensive trip around the world. He said he lectured to the most learned people around the world. He preached in great cathedrals. He did research in, in, on several continents. He stood upon many mountains of the world and walked the shores of several majestic oceans. 
in that time, in that whole time that he was away, he met thousands, tens of thousands of people. And upon returning home, he was asked to state the single most profound thought that he had considered while he was away, doing all of these great things. And with a faint smile, he replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Sometimes we make it so complicated, what God wants. God wants our heart. He gave his son to die for my sins, for your sins, so your heart could be clean, could be atoned for, so that our hope could be in an eternity. He wants us to, to know that he is the creator, that he is God Almighty. He is the great I am that we have sung about. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who is righteous. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. All, everything works through him. He wants us to know that. And in that realizing that relationship and who he is, to have that trust, that faith, to step out and to do what he has called us to do, to be obedient to his commands. Now, folks, I, I know you're in my life. We, our lives are very, very busy. Our lives include so many activities, so many different directions that we are pulled in. But the question we need to step back is, do they include Jesus Christ? Not as just one of many, but is he the most important thing in my life? Where is our heart? Where is our obedience? I used this quote earlier, and we're going to put it up for you right now, and I want you to, to kind of think about this. But if you have everything but Christ, you have nothing. But if you have nothing but Christ, you have everything. Father God, I pray that you could etch that truth upon my heart and upon my mind. That I would not just say it, that it wouldn't be just something on a plaque, but Father, it would be a truth of my life. That if I have nothing but Christ, I have everything. And help all these things to fall by the wayside in my life. Father, I love you. I love your son, Jesus. Help us, Father, to, to look at our lives, to evaluate our hearts. Lord, even to maybe to see some areas where we may have strayed in, in our obedience to you. And Father, right now, we take a moment in quietness. Give everybody a moment just to speak to you personally about these things that you're working on. Father God, thank you for your presence here. And as we come to the end of this service, Lord, I pray that it will not be the end of this truth in our lives, but this will be something, Father, that will come up, that we'll think about. That later on this afternoon, later on this week at work or in home, whatever it might be, that, Father, 
just truly to say and to look at our lives to see if we fear God and keep his commandments. So simple, Lord, yet so profoundly true. Thank you. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in our son's name. Hey.